The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. Today's episode, we're going to talk about the fact that none of us no longer uh, need think. Uh, we have experts to do it for us, and if we get off track accidentally having some independent thought, we have fact checkers who will put us back on the proper course because God knows that uh, independent thought these days is uh, increasingly becoming against the law. Um, it's really quite a stunning situation just to watch the world unfold. Of course, this podcast is focused on healthcare. And as always, my admonition is for all of you to advocate and to demand free market health care, which provides the greatest health care at the lowest price with the most choices and the greatest quality. It's been proven over and over again. Uh, socialized medicine, a one-size-fits-all government-run uh, program is an absolute disaster. It denies health care. We see it in Britain as the NHS, the National Health Service, is collapsing. I was just having dinner last night with uh, someone who's from England, and they were talking about the fact that people are more and more being forced to go, forced, he says, to go into private health care because the NHS is failing. They're not providing care. The wait times are ridiculous. It doesn't work. Free market health care is the way to go. I will be advocating it for uh, my entire life. And, you know, when we started this show or when I first got into medicine, I started thinking about how important it was to have free market medicine, that I was seeing it in my own training. I We would go and, and rotate through the Veterans Administration Hospital, which is just the most government-run place. And it's just an absolutely uh, horrible a horror show of uh, non-healthcare at the VAs. And I've shared my experiences there many times. And when we would go to the more private hospitals, you would see the quality of care increase. And you also saw a better utilization of resources, meaning because it's free market healthcare, there's an, an effort to provide high quality, but also to manage cost cutting. And the thing that's important about that is you know, things cost what they cost. There's no way to have anything for free. Everything is always paid for. The only difference is who pays. And the more you use your own money to pay for things, the better stewards of that money you are. And we've always talked about the great economist Milton Friedman's four ways to spend money. Uh, you can spend your money on yourself. That's the best way to spend it. Both cost and quality matter. You can spend your money on somebody else. Cost matters because it's your money, but the quality doesn't matter as much because what you're getting is for somebody else. You can spend other people's money on yourself. Now, in that situation, cost is no object. It's not your money, but the quality matters. And then the worst way to spend money is other people's money on other people in which cost doesn't matter and quality doesn't matter. And that's essentially what happens in government-run, one-size-fits-all socialized medicine. Now, they have really the advocates for socialized medicine have really lost their ability to convince people that socialized medicine is the way to go and it's not just socialized medicine socialized medicine healthcare is a large part of our economy last time i checked it was something like 20% of our overall economy so it's a large portion of it 
and just the uh, people who support big government in general have really lost the ability to convince us that big government is the way to go. And so we've moved into this era of what we call best practices. I saw it in medicine a long time ago where, you know, they, they would argue that we want to implement these so-called best practices like a menu and get doctors to stop thinking independently. And it was presented to us as, well, we, we've already figured things out. And so this is the best way to do it. But the reality is it gets you to shut off your brain. And there is no such thing as best practices in the sense that every time you deal with a new patient, it's a new situation. And that's the way I was trained. Sometimes I feel like I was uh, a breed from the, the very last group of people that were taught properly in medicine. And now you have medical students who are basically trained to follow best practices, not have any independent thinking. We always have to trust the experts. If we get off track, there are fact checkers to sort of take what we say and correct us. Uh, people are labeled as spreaders of misinformation, which is funny to me because the people who seem to be giving us the most inf- uh, misinformation are the agencies and three-letter agencies of the government that have been deemed so-called experts, uh, and yet they're wrong all the time. They never get labeled as known spreaders of misinformation. It's just people like me that say things like, uh, you know, masks don't work. And oh, by the way, we have an update on that. I'm going to share with you in just a little bit. But just to start giving you a flavor of where I'm at and where my thinking is coming from, I want to play for you this clip from her name is Bronte Remsick. I apologize if I'm not saying that properly, but her LinkedIn, uh, uh, her LinkedIn site basically just says she's self-described. Currently, I'm a third year medical student and social media influencer, and I am outspoken on topics such as diversity, equity, and inclusion. And of course, we know that means she's a hardcore leftist and she's going to promote and, and support socialized medicine. Now, she was invited on Michael Knowles' show from the Daily Wire to talk about the Roe v. Wade decision and argue the point of uh, pro-abortion. And I want you to just hear how she uh, starts talking the moment she shows up on Michael Knowles' show on the Daily Wire. Listen to this. Stand by. I'm trying to get this to go on. Here we go. Absolutely. So what I would really like to start this conversation off with and make very clear from the start for both you and your viewers is I am not saying that you are wrong for being uncomfortable with abortion. I'm not saying that you are wrong for not agreeing with it. But your opinion applies to your body and your life alone. We are not sitting here having a discussion about our personal disagreements. I am here to educate you and your viewers on the guidelines of proper medical practice that have been established by our country's leading medical experts, and they have stated publicly and unequivocally that abortion access is essential to comprehensive evidence-based health care. And we both want to protect life, and what remains true is protecting innocent life never involves restricting access to health care. So, so this is quite incredible to me. I mean, every time I listen to it, it blows my mind even more. 
you know, first of all, she's a third year medical student. And so from somebody sitting in my seat and my perspective is she's at the beginning of her journey in life and really doesn't know anything. And I know that my parents used to tell me when I was young, you need to do a lot more listening and a little less talking and start to learn about the world around you. You know, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it seems to me these young people, they just have it all figured out, which I guess has been sort of a problem with all of humanity throughout all of time. But the the righteous indignation of this young lady, and I don't know her at all. I know people like her or how I think I perceive her. But it, you, notice she comes in. We're not having a debate about pro-life versus uh, pro-abortion. I'm here to educate you and tell you how it is. Your opinion doesn't matter at all because experts have decided that what I think is correct. And therefore, I am not even going to put myself in a position where I have to defend my position. And here's the best part, too. I know in your mind, killing babies in the womb is, you know, you might think that's that's ending life or that's terminating life. But she just educated me that promoting life means to defend abortion. So in case you were thinking that abortion's ending life, I just wanted to correct you guys on that because you're not thinking properly. And thank God we had experts and fact checkers to make sure that I wasn't uh, seeing this, uh, this, this information improperly. Now, Another thing I want to talk about, we've obviously been talking about it for a couple of years on this show, but the idea of surgical masks and cloth masks in the uh, prevention of transmission of influenza-like illnesses. Now, when I was in medical school uh, 30 years ago, uh, this came up. Uh, I'm a surgeon, and part of my training was to learn about masks, and I read extensively about it 30 years ago. I read things like meta-analysis of data collected on masks, and the prevailing understanding was that the surgical and cloth masks provide no protection at the tra- uh, regarding the transmission of influenza-like illnesses. Now, I know this is heresy, and I don't want to go too far and get too far over my skis, but even the N95 mask has not been shown in vivo. I don't know how many of my listeners listeners are non-scientific, but when you do studies in vitro, that's in the laboratory. When you do studies in vivo, that's in life. So uh, in vivo would be uh, a study of you put N95 masks on in an actual situation where a respiratory illness is being transmitted and you measure that it stops the transmission. And that has never been shown. And the reason is, most likely I'm inferring, but when you use an N95 masks in a laboratory in an in vitro situation, you have perfect conditions, you know, a brand new mask, perfect seal. They're usually measuring things like are the particles getting through and stuff like that. And that's all great in the laboratory, but how it actually transmits out in the world is a whole different thing. And we know that most people don't have a clean N95 mask to wear every day. They don't wear it perfectly. They get itchy on the nose and they may move it. They'll touch their face, touch a doorknob, touch a countertop. And for whatever reason, N95 masks have not been shown to be effective uh, in in uh, vivo. Uh, now, I know that's heresy to say, and I don't want to, you know, let's just leave that alone. That's just my opinion for the people watching this show who want to label me a spreader of misinformation. That's my opinion. I think as a practicing physician for 30 years that I have earned the right to at least have an opinion. But beyond that, 
there's been a new meta-analysis. A meta-analysis is where they go back and they look at all of the literature on a particular subject or a large portion of that literature, and they sort of get a meta-analysis. What do all the studies seem to show? And this this uh, new meta-analysis on the efficacy of masks preventing the transmission of influenza-like illnesses was found at the Cochrane Library. Now, the Cochrane Library is a place where uh, scientific information is stored. It's a gold standard for people in healthcare. And this new meta-analysis basically demonstrated that surgical masks and cloth masks are ineffective at uh, preventing the transmission of influenza-like illnesses. Now, that just came out. Okay, and it's a big deal. You would think in light of the fact that we just went through this pandemic that uh, we just forced all of our children to wear masks in school for the last couple of years, that we've documented problems in development of children that have been quite significant. Uh, you would think that this new meta-analysis showing that masks don't work would be prominent in the news and be something that our three-letter agencies like the FDA and the CDC would want to share with the public. But that really hasn't been the case. And it's just, you know, one has to ask the question, why? Why are they not sharing this important information? Now, so, you know, we have this situation where the this meta-analysis demonstrates unequivocally that masks do not seem to work, the surgical and cloth masks, in, sh- in the prevention of transmission of influenza-like illnesses. So it's quite odd that uh, just in light of that, we had Rachel Walensky, the CDC director, uh, being questioned by um, be- being questioned by uh, a senator up on Capitol Hill and asking her questions regarding why masks weren't looked at more closely during the pandemic. And I just want you to hear what she has to say right here. Again, bear with me while I bring this up. It had on their educational attainment. And it, it, it kind of surprises me that the NIH, CDC didn't do any follow-up testing, even while this was going on to determine the effectiveness of this and the impact it was going to have on kids. Yeah, I appreciate, you know, Um, In order to do a randomized clinical trial, you need to actually have equipoise in the question. And ultimately, what would happen, what happened is that there were so many studies that demonstrated time and time again in the height of COVID transmission that masks were working to prevent transmission. And I'm not sure anybody would have proposed a clinical trial because, in fact, there wasn't equipoise to the question anymore. Wow. That that is quite a statement. So... Basically, you have the CDC director, Rachel Walensky, who is a an expert, right? The system says that she is an expert. My opinion doesn't matter. Hers does because she's an expert. We have this situation where we're forcing our kids to wear masks in school. We know there's documented problems with their development. That is not uh, up for debate. <laughs> uh, it is obviously up for debate, but there's plenty of uh, research out there suggesting that kids had developmental delay and other problems re, uh, regarding this mask wearing that we've been forcing our children to engage in over these last couple of years. And yet uh, we do a meta-analysis here that, that's put at the Cochrane Library, which is a big deal. I mean, that's that that's meaningful when you have scientific research that's at the Cochrane Library, this meta-analysis demonstrating that there's no efficacy of surgical and cloth masks 
in the prevention of uh, the transmission of influenza-like illnesses, so these respiratory illnesses. And here we have the CDC director saying, well, during the pandemic, we didn't really research this because the uh, the evidence was just so overwhelming that masks were working that we didn't even bother to look at it. Well, that's that's kind of weird because this meta-analysis just looked back at the evidence that said the masks are not working at all. And I'm kind of having a disconnect here. I don't get it. The experts tell me the masks are working. They're telling me the reason we didn't even bother to look at it is because the evidence was overwhelming. And yet when they go back and they look at the evidence, it shows that the masks don't work. Now, obviously, I'm being facetious right here. This is utterly ridiculous. These incompetent buffoons in the government that are trying to run our world and run our health care are just so uh, it's just so out of touch. Just it, it's beyond it's beyond the pale. And the only thing that gets me worried is when I hear medical students like Bronte Remsick uh, espousing this. We're not even going to debate the issues. You just have to listen to me because experts have said my position is the way to go. I, I worry for this world. When I was growing up and going through training and schooling, I mean, my father, my parents, my my mentors, my school teachers, my training uh, mentors in medical school and in residency, they all taught me to think independently. Don't just accept what other people say w- without any critical thought. I mean, I can remember uh, a, 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 you know, a scary doctor that I had back in medical school, Dr. Lonegro. He's just a very learned man. He was kind of an intense dude and we were all terrified around him. And he used to tell me like, don't ever stop turning your brain off. You've always got to start thinking. And if things don't make sense to you, ask questions, which of course is what I've been doing through this entire pandemic, which is why I had my finger on the pulse of this thing from the very beginning. And it, you know, it started when the Royal College of London said the the uh, mortality rate of COVID was 3.4%. And I knew that that was absolutely incorrect. I said it on this show. And, you know, of course, I was proven to be correct when they, the CDC, the experts that were allowed to listen to came back and revised the mortality rate to be more in line with other uh, influenza-like illnesses that we expected, which is what I knew because I'm a doctor and I was able to interpret the evidence that was available, even with all the censorship and the fact checkers. And the reason that I'm putting the information to you guys this way is I really want to promote independent thinking. And I'm hoping, you know, sometimes I wonder, does the world see things the way I see things? So I just remember during the pandemic being, you know, nervous at, in the beginning, like, okay, what is this new a virus that's uh, traveling the world and causing all these problems. Let me start investigating it. And then as I started gathering information, it was like, okay, this virus is primarily attacking older people with comorbid conditions. Uh, it was deadly for sure, but our young people, my children, my family, myself, uh, it looked like uh, we were in pretty good shape in terms of the risk that it posed to us. And I was kind of like, the more I got this information, the calmer I became. And I was just assuming that everybody else was interning, internalizing this information in the same way. And I remember in the uh, summer of 2020, a few months into the pandemic, my wife just freaking out like, Oh my God, we're all going to die. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, not only are we not all going to die, but like none of us in this family are going to die. And what is your problem? And, And it was, 
I learned that she was not internalizing the information in the same way I was because she didn't go to medical school and she didn't know how to look at things that were coming, you know, from MSNBC and CBS and NBC and CNN and, and say that's BS. And, you know, I was able to kind of discard things that I knew were not right and focus on things that I knew were correct. I had access to information that other people didn't have because I was going to hospitals and I was seeing patients and I, you know, I had information that other people didn't get. And so it really got me thinking, like, maybe the whole world is not understanding the concept of critical thinking and I'm hoping that people are not duped by this concept of uh, fact checkers. I mean, basically at this point, anytime I see a fact checker, I realize that the truth is written and a fact checker has been deployed to try and get us off the truth. That is really what the function of a fact checker is. I'm going to show you guys some of that today as well. Um, Now, I do have some hope for this world because my young children are 14 and 16 and I asked them about this and they fully seem to get the concept that these fact checkers are a joke, that censoring people for spreading misinformation is just a ridiculous concept because nobody is the arbiter of information and the only way that we can get to the truth is by having uh, allowing people to have independent thought and debate and we need to stop siloing decision making in these experts when we show them to be incorrect over and over again. And it's more than just incorrect. They're corrupt, right? We know they're corrupt. They're protecting their political power. They're protecting their financial power. Pfizer's made like a billion dollars on this vaccine, which is enough money to basically buy off everybody in the chain. And you guys all remember when that came up, when the New England Journal of Medicine and The Lancet published fake phony studies on hydroxychloroquine suggesting that it was a dangerous drug. And the reason... Uh, of course, in my opinion, was hydroxychloroquine uh, is an effective drug at preventing uh, infection with these uh, types of of uh, respiratory illnesses. And they didn't want people having access to this very cheap, easily accessible medicine because it seems to me it would have stopped the pandemic. And we know there's all kinds of reasons, uh, political and financial, why they didn't want to happen. I came across this little gem here of Anthony Fauci. Of course, I just want to remind you all that uh, Dr. Fauci's National Institute of Health published what is now a blockbuster article on August 22nd, 2005, under the heading, Chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. Wow. He actually comments back in 2005, hydroxychloroquine functions as both the cure and the vaccine. And of course, we know SARS-CoV-1 is, well, at least I know and uh, I'm sharing with you, SARS-CoV-1 is 78% the same as SARS-CoV-2. And if you look at the mechanism of how hydroxychloroquine works to prevent viral transmission, it seems logical that it would be effective at not just coronavirus, but other respiratory type viruses. So I just throw that in there because, again, we got another expert here who we're allowed to listen to, not me, but you can listen to the expert. Now, the other thing I want to know, too, is I think everybody's kind of aware that something weird is going on with these professional athletes. I'm a big soccer player or soccer player. I'm a big soccer fan. I used to be a big soccer player back in the day, but uh, now I'm a big fan. I watch lots of games and these professional soccer players have been dropping dead left and right. Um, I don't, I, I was so happy to see Argentina 
win the World Cup. I'm a big Messi fan. I just think he's amazing. And like Michael Jordan, uh, you know, I, I realize I'm witnessing something that will never be seen again. He's a, I mean, a once in a millennium type of player. He's still so fantastic. I think he's 35, 36 right now. He's still absolutely killing it. I was just watching him in the game uh, against Bayern Munich. He's playing for PSG in the Champions League, and he's still such a fantastic guy. And anyway, I was so happy to see Argentina. Like many people in this world, we wanted Messi to win the World Cup. It was the final trophy he needed to cement himself as the GOAT. I'm a big Ronaldo fan as well, but between Ronaldo and Messi, I think I got to go with Messi. I just love the guy. Uh, But a lot of you may not be aware that the person who should have been starting at center forward for Argentina is Sergio Aguero. Now, Sergio Aguero was playing for Manchester City, and guess what happened to Sergio Aguero? Can any of you guess out there? Yeah, you've got it. He had a heart condition, that made him have to retire from soccer prematurely. And I I just wonder what that could have been. Because, you know, for my whole life, I've just seen young people have to uh, stop playing pro sports for uh, for heart conditions, right? I'm being facetious here. I've never seen this before until 2020. I think a lot of us uh, were stunned to see DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills football player who collapsed on the field before our very eyes uh, from a heart condition and... I saw that Michael Strahan was interviewing him and asking him uh, what his doctor said was the cause of his uh, collapse on the field. And uh, he replied, I don't want to share that information right now. I wonder why that is. Uh, folks, we're just living in a world right now that we have to we have to change gears. We, we can't be living in this Truman show where we're not allowed to think. We're not allowed to debate. We're not allowed to ask questions. And from the medical side, the more I get information the more I'm just stunned at how uh, absent from the fight the medical field is in. They seem to be all in on this, and I'm trying to be a voice of reason out there. I'm trying to spread, share information that I'm figuring out on my own. And, of course, I'm not alone, but uh, I, I'm definitely on the side of the lesser population, and it really scares me uh, because – our physician motto is to do no harm, and it seems to me like a lot of physicians are sort of uh, skirting that that oath uh, at this time. Now, there's a guy named Steve Kirsch who is uh, got a Substack, and he does a lot of uh, journalism regarding COVID and the vaccine and things like that. And he was able to get Medicare data from Connecticut. Uh, and he analyzed that data and he was able to come up with uh, some conclusions. And, uh, <clears throat> let's see. I put a, I took some notes here about his conclusions, but essentially he looked at this uh, Medicare data. So this is Medicare from the state of Connecticut and he got it in, uh, uh, a release of information. I think it might have been a FOIA or something like that. Anyway, he got access to this, uh, information, which just statistics we're talking about here. And he, talks about the fact that this is Medicare data. So most of the patients on there are 65 and older. So there's some limits to what he's able to glean. But what he was able to demonstrate um, statistically, so this is not his opinion. This is just statistical fact. What the data showed was that people 65 and older have a fairly even death rate from the vaccine and the death rate appears to increase over time possibly due to the additional doses, but this was hard to tell. The death rate seems to peak at a year after the shot and then goes down. 
but it is still elevated from normal. He can't tell how long it lasts, but it could be a lifetime. Okay, so people 65 and older who get the vaccine are having a higher mortality rate. Okay, that's that seems to me to be important. What he also noted is younger people tended to die early after getting the shots. Your risk goes up and peaks right after six months from the shot, then goes back down over time to be normal or somewhat above normal. We lack the data to tell this after around two years. So young people getting the shot, their their increased mortality seems to peak around six months after the shot. And I'm just going to tell you, folks, I know people in my life that have had children that are young, 20s, that have died in their sleep. And it's not just one, it's several. And this is not something I've experienced. Now, I can't prove that's vaccine related, but I have questions. And what is stunning to me is that I know a lot of you have questions, and I'm wondering why our three-letter agencies, our experts, our media, why are people not sharing information with us? Now, he also noted that uh, because we are looking at all-cause death and because excess deaths caused by the vaccine are estimated to be on the order of 10% above baseline, uh, it's not easy to clearly uh, isolate the signal from the noise. He said it is easier to see for young people but since this is a Medicare database, there aren't a lot of young people on the list. So his conclusions above and below are based on the new data and what he knows. And he said there are other ways to interpret the data. So he asked the question, uh, why why is the CDC not releasing death and vaccine data? And, you know, he points out all we need to determine is the vaccine Increasing mortality or decreasing mortality is for the CDC to simply release who died, who's been vaccinated, the age uh, at death, the date of death. But, you know, don't put don't put the uh, so it's the, the age of the patient. All right. You put the date of the death and the date of the covid vaccine. And we can do this uh, under HIPAA compliance. So we, we don't need names or anything like this, but it's just raw data that we could easily look at and we would know vaccines are either helping or they're hurting. Now, a lot of us have questions and I don't think those questions are unfounded, but, uh, you know, I think we deserve an answer. And so it begs the question to a critical thinker, why are they not sharing this information? And we'll get into a little more of that when we come back from this break. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and I'll be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me. You're listening to me on America's Web Radio. 
Uh, picking up where we left off, uh, I wanted to kind of go back to what we were talking about with uh, Rachel Walensky, the CDC director. She was up on Capitol Hill uh, arguing that she we didn't do any studies on the masks because the the uh, evidence was overwhelming that masks were super effective. And so there, there was no reason to look at it. Of course, that's weird. This new meta analysis, uh, uh, located at the Cochrane library, which shows that the masks, uh, the both surgical and cloth masks don't work. It also actually showed the N95 doesn't really work either, but uh, I leave that one alone. You notice that Rachel Walensky used the term equipoise during her, her uh, statement. Now, this is something I want to add to the list of how stupid smart people are always trying to influence. So, you know, we have uh, experts, right? So if you're not an expert, okay, then you can't comment on something. We saw uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, who just was recently confirmed to the Supreme Court when she was asked uh, what a woman was. And she said, well, I'm not a biologist, so I can't say what a woman is. Uh, so she's she's using this technique where she's trying to get out of answering a question which she knows will, uh, p- you know, put her put her in conflict with her base of political supporters. She can't say what a woman is. So she says, I'm not an expert in that field, so I can't make the statement. Uh, they use that also to prevent other people from making statements about things. So, for example, I'm a medical doctor and I have, uh, you know, I have training in lots of things, physics and you know, they'll come if somebody was interviewing me and they didn't like me, which most people on the left and in government wouldn't like me because I'm an independent thinker and they can't have that. They would ask me questions like, do you have a degree in immunology? And, you know, I'd say, like, well, I went to medical school. Well, it's not a degree in immunology. They're always trying to prevent somebody from being able to comment on a situation by saying you're not expert enough. And then they're the ones who always get to define who's the expert. The other technique they use are fact checkers. And we saw with Anthony Fauci, basically they played, when he was up on Capitol Hill answering questions, they played an audio of him and we have it somewhere. I'll have to have Brett pull it up again so he can listen to it. But he basically was saying that if you caught a virus that you didn't need to get vaccinated because catching the virus was the vaccine. And he said this a long time ago. And that was, I think it was played by Rand Paul back to him. And Anthony Fauci, you know, he, Rand Paul says to Anthony Fauci, how do you square this circle? You said years ago that you don't need to get a vaccine if you get infected because getting the infection of whatever the virus is is the best vaccine, which, of course, that is true. Uh, and and he says, well, Reuters did a fact check on me, and the fact checker said that what I'm saying now is not in conflict with what I said back then. And I'm thinking to myself, who the heck uses a fact checker to defend their own words with their own words? It's such a bizarre concept to me, but this is the world we live in, and this is how... The people in charge, you're not in charge. The people in charge are trying to prevent you from being able to weigh in on things. You're not an expert. Uh, fact checkers will correct you if you start straying off the reservation. They like this concept of best practices, right? Don't do any independent thinking, especially in medicine. They love to do this all the time now. Like, are you following best practices? Like, we have a menu to do this. So somebody like me, I want to do something off the menu because every patient is a different patient with a unique set of facts and independent thinking is what I'm trained to do. Uh, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, you're not following the best practices. And that's because best practices in many cases are silly. And it's a tactic to get you 
uh, to uh, eliminate you from the conversation. Well, another thing that the stupid smart people will do is they try to intimidate you with big words. Now, I remember when I was young, um, I had a, a reading disability. I still have the reading disability. I was very insecure about my intelligence and I did not do well on school tests. I didn't do very well on tests like the SAT score. Back in my day, there wasn't really a lot of understanding of reading disabilities and, you know, its relationship to uh, hyperactivity, which we, what do we call hyperactivity now? I can't even think of it. Yeah. ADHD and ADD. Yeah. We just were called hyperactive back then. Um, I remember thinking to myself, like, it's embarrassing to be as dumb as I am. And I need to do something to give me some street cred, which was one of the reasons when I was young that I wanted to become a doctor was so that it would buy me some street cred so that when I demonstrated what a dummy I was, it wouldn't be as embarrassing. And I know that seems funny to this day, but it actually works. And I do have confidence now because I have the confidence of age and I've just seen the inside of everything, meaning I've been on the inside of academia. I've been on the inside of business. I've been on the inside of medicine. I've seen a lot of stupid, smart people. And uh, I know that they are fallible just like the rest of us. They have the same um, deadly sins of, you know, pride and gluttony and sloth and all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't intimidate me. And I don't accept what they say just because I'm the head of the CDC or I'm, you know, I've made these, I graduated from Harvard. I graduated from, yeah, like, I don't care. I want to see what your skill set is in practice. And so one of the tools that people like that, what I, I, I got this from Dan Bongino. He coined the phrase that I really like. It's called stupid smart people, which is perfect. Like that is exactly what it is. Like they're smart in the sense that they, have high education. They go to, you know, places like Stanford and Harvard and Yale. Um, they achieve great titles and everything. But when it comes down to common sense, they just seem to be stupid. And so he's coined this phrase, stupid smart people. And I really like it. But one of the tools that a stupid smart person will use to intimidate you is the use of big words. And you notice she used the term equipoise. Now, a lot of you listening to her clip where she's saying the reason that we did not investigate masks is because the evidence was so overwhelming that there, that they were working, that there was no reason to look at it. She drops this term equipoise on you to try and get you to say to yourself, well, gosh, I'm just too dumb to understand her and she's so smart. I guess that makes sense to me that the reason we didn't study masks, even though they were causing problems with our kids, is because the evidence was so overwhelming. And yet when we go back and we look at the Cochrane study doing a meta-analysis on these masks, it shows they don't work, which would seem to suggest that the evidence was not overwhelming that they were working, that the evidence would be overwhelming that they were not working. Uh, now, so she drops this term equipoise on you. Now, I'm confident enough and old enough and experienced enough. I mean, if I was younger, I would still be intimidated. But I'm going to just admit to all of you out there, I did not know what equipoise means. So I had to look it up. And equipoise means a state of equilibrium, a counterbalance. So... um you know, I kind of want to listen to this. I know I already played it, and I know it's probably not the right thing to do when you're doing a radio show, but I really want to listen to this again because it's just so it's so deliciously like ridiculous. Um, let's listen to what Rachel Walensky said when she was being questioned on Capitol Hill again. It, it kind of surprises me that the NIH, CDC, didn't do any follow-up testing, uh, even while this was going on, to determine the effectiveness of this and the impact it was going to have on kids. Yeah, I appreciate, you know, 
um, in order to do a randomized clinical trial, you need to actually have equipoise in the question. And ultimately, what would happen, what happened is that there were so many studies that demonstrated time and time again in the height of COVID transmission that masks were working to prevent transmission that I'm not sure anybody would have proposed a clinical trial because, in fact, there wasn't equipoise to the question anymore. You get that? I mean, you, <laughs> she gets busted. Like, it's so ridiculous. Like, so, and I, this, um, this questioning was, uh, I think it was in response to the release of this meta-analysis at the Cochrane Library. So she's basically busted in a, I'm just going to say, I mean, it looks to me like a lie. Um, how is it that we have these problems with kids' development, two years, forcing them to wear masks? And, you know, it seemed like it was an important thing to know. And yet the CDC chose not to study it. And her answer is the equipoise. There needs to be equipoise in the question, meaning, I guess, balance. So I think she's saying there has to be some level of does it work or does it not work. And her argument is the evidence is just so overwhelming that there was just no point in even looking at it is, I guess, what she's saying. So she drops the equipoise on you to get you to be intimidated so that you don't ask questions and then, you know, you go back to just being a regular person with common sense. Don't do it, folks. I mean, if if you're a young person out there, listen, be respectful of your elders. And, you know, as my mom and dad used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? Do more listening, less talking. Try to learn. Try to be curious. Was it Ted Lasso? You know, people have been judging me my whole life. And I find... What they lack is curious. They're just not curious. I don't know. I I don't know if anybody gets that Ted Lasso reference, but I really like that clip. Anyway, so Rachel Walensky busted, uh, you know, saying that uh, she didn't study masks because the evidence was overwhelming. We now know that's not the case. Now, again, you're not allowed to have opinions. It has to be experts. It has to be best practices. Uh, if you're not one of those people, if you're not a biologist, you can't, you can't weigh in on what a woman is. I want you to also see when we're making this argument against socialized government run healthcare, you know, one of the things I've been noticing is like when I go to the hospitals, like I have to wear the mask. I mean, they're still playing this game. Now I try to bring up at the hospitals where I work, like, Hey, can we maybe get rid of this whole mask thing, especially in lieu of this? evidence of this, you know, at the Cochrane Library. I mean, when I was a younger person, that would be enough to get all the hospitals to just say, yeah, let's get rid of it. But they're not scientific anymore. They're political. And so, and it's also financial. So um, I'm going to do a show on this. I have done shows in the past, but basically hospitals get a lot of money from the government through Medicare and Medicaid. And by fighting this so-called pandemic uh, they get a lot of extra money, right? We saw the government spending like $2 trillion on COVID relief. Uh, I don't think anybody's really paying attention as to who's getting that money and where it's going, but kind of playing this game of like we're fighting COVID and wearing masks in the hospitals, a way for these hospitals to get more money from the government. Um, it's really kind of frustrating, and it's a waste of money to me. I walk in there, there's masks everywhere. They go through all these procedures. Patients are getting... uh less optimal care. So I had a patient, I was on call at one of the hospitals where I work, patient had a hip fracture. I got called in to go fix it. And um, patient had no respiratory issues whatsoever. And of course the hospital does testing, which is part of the money transfer. So they do their, their, you know, obligatory COVID testing, even though the patient has no symptoms. 
And sadly for the patient, the test comes back positive. And of course, we know there's tons of false positives with these tests. We also know that the uh, inventor of PCR technology specifically uh, states that this is not uh, the PCR technology is not designed to test for the presence of illness. But again, that's a show for another day. Uh, but anyway, this patient tests positive for COVID, even though they're having no symptoms. And of course, the hospital goes into this whole process, hazmat suits and everything like this kind of makes me laugh. Like everybody else in the OR is wearing hazmat suits and me and my, my PA are like, you know, wearing our normal surgical mask, which, you know, we know doesn't do anything, but hey, we're doing that. Uh, and then sadly, the next day I go in to see my patient and they're begging me, get me out of this bed. I was like, what happened? And they're like, they won't come in and give me my pain medicine. I got to go to the bathroom. I can't get out of bed. I just need to get out of here. And I go talk to the nurses, like, what's going on? And they're like, well, they have COVID. We can't go in there because they're lepers. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So the, uh, my point here is the socialized medicine is not working. The government is not being good stewards of your money. And then this one just tickles me pink. I saw this on Twitter. This is uh, former Surgeon General Jerome Adams. And he's sitting here in his admiral uniform. And he's showing, if you guys can't see this on video, but he's showing us how to make masks out of T-shirts and stuff. And I just, I want to, I want you guys to listen to this. I'm trying to pull this up. Here's how you can make your own face covering in a few easy steps with items you can find around the house, like an old scarf, a bandana, or a hand towel, or you can make a face covering out of an old t-shirt. Fold it to the middle from the bottom. Fold it to the middle from the top. Fold it again to the middle from the bottom, and again from the top. And then two rubber bands, one on one side and one on the other side. Then you fold either side to the middle and you have yourself cloth face covering. All right. So let me, let me just paint the picture for you guys. He's standing there in his surgeon general's, uh, admiral's uniform. He's got the flags in the background there and he's taking like a shirt or a t-shirt or a scarf or something like that. And he's folding it and then using these rubber bands to make a homemade mask. This is the surgeon general of the United States of America uh, doing what looks to be like a uh, some kind of a promo to uh, demonstrate how you can make a homemade mask. These are your tax dollars at work, right? I mean, absolutely unbelievable to me. But again, he's an expert. You have to listen to what he says. Um, and, uh, you know, don't listen to people like me. You know, I only graduated at the top of my medical school and, you know, been practicing uh, you know, for 30 years and, you know, I have 90th percentile board scores, but Hey, uh, don't listen to me. Um, now <clears throat> I got another one here, which, uh, this one boggles the mind, uh, more than anything. And I want to show you how th the powers that be are deploying these fact checkers to get you, uh, not to believe anything you're seeing with your own eyes. Um, you know, I've seen in my research for a long period of time now that fact checkers always seem to go take actual facts and try to tell you that what are actual facts aren't facts. And the more you see fact checkers deployed, the more I realize whatever it is they're fact checking is true. And what they're telling you isn't true is, is really just to throw you off the scent. And I remember when I was going up to DC for America's frontline doctors to share this readily available information early in the pandemic, this was 
in the summer of 2020, we were trying to let people know things like what the true mortality rate was, like hydroxychloroquine, how it works, you know, that Fauci said it worked in 2005. We were trying to share the fact that the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet were busted publishing fake studies and a whole bunch of other stuff. We weren't sharing any new data. We were just sharing data that was already available for anybody who wanted to see it. And part of what my job was to do was to put together all of the places where they were trying to throw us off the scent. So we know that uh, John Solomon did some great work demonstrating that uh, right around the time that Florida, Georgia, and Texas were opening up their states, meaning no mask mandates and, and ending the lockdowns, that people that wanted to have ongoing lockdowns and mask mandates tried to create this narrative of a spike in COVID deaths. And what they did was they added, I can't remember what the dates were, but like they added the April numbers to the July numbers to make the July numbers look like there was a spike in deaths. And then, of course, all of your fake news media, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, all of them pretty much, uh, went around the horn. Oh, my God, a spike in deaths in the red states. And then, of course, when John Solomon exposed the truth, that that part doesn't really uh, really get played too much. And um, <clears throat> so one of the things I wanted to look at was when um, when we were getting to the point where we were going to be doing the lockdowns. So this is back in early, like in March of 2020. I was going on Worldometer and I was following the caseloads of all the deaths that were occurring in Italy and in uh, South Korea. And uh, this information was readily available. And I would go through and look at each chart of each patient myself because, you know, that's what I do as a doctor. I don't just accept what people are telling me. I do my own research because that's how a normal doctor, at least when I was trained, uh, used to practice. And I, that's why I was able to see right off the bat that this coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, was primarily uh, killing older folks with comorbid conditions and that younger people were largely uh, largely at very low risk. And and um, so what was also happening was the they were releasing the number of deaths in the United States. And I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it was something like, you know, right around 60,000 deaths. And so they then implement the lockdowns. And then it, this was like on a Friday. I, I I don't remember the dates exactly, but it was something like the end of the week and then over the weekend and then the new deaths. They, the CDC revised the number to something like 30,000 deaths. So from 60,000 down to 30,000, I'm like, wait, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, like, that's a big difference. Like 60,000 was a lot, but 30,000 is different. And maybe we don't do the lockdowns if we do the 30,000. And of course, nobody else was talking about it. And it was really frustrating. And so anyway, I wanted to point that out when we went up to DC with America's frontline doctors and share that this happened uh, with the world. And I go to look it up on Google. And of course, the first, you know, so I said something like CDC revised the numbers from 60,000 down to 30,000. And when it comes up on Google, it's like five fact checks in a row. Like they don't give me any information. It's just five fact checks in a row that say fact check false, fact check false, fact check false. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I've been following this personally. It a hundred percent happens. So I pull up one of the fact checks and I start reading it and it's very, uh, statistical science. So, you know, talking about Bayesian analysis and this and that, you know, just painful read, especially for anybody who doesn't have any training 
in, in statistics. And so I'm, but I'm very interested. I'm like, how is it that they're fact checking this as false when it a hundred percent happened? And so I'm reading this whole very dry, very scientific, very hard to comprehend, you know, purposely. That's how the stupid smart people try to do it, right? They try to use words like equipoise to throw you off the scent. They're using a complicated thing and I'm reading, reading, reading. And then down at the bottom, it says, so the CDC did revise its number from 60,000 to 30,000, but they had a good reason because of, you know, the way they collect the information. And I'm sitting there after reading this whole thing going, okay, well then fact check true. They did revise the number from 60,000 to 30,000. They just had a good reason for it. But we all know now at this point that that is not the purpose of the fact checkers. The fact checkers are there to throw you off the scent and the people who are deploying these fact checkers know full well that most people will not read this complicated article, they'll simply look at the top, like, did the CDC revise the numbers from 60,000 to 30,000? No, false. And then they'll also look and go, oh, and it's five of them that all said false. So I guess it didn't happen. Now, America's frontline doctors go up to DC. And at the time, we had 18 million live Facebook followers that were interested in what we were having, what we had to say. And again, we were not sharing our information. We were sharing information that was already available in peer-reviewed journals and out there for anybody who wanted to look at it, and big tech shut us down, you know? And, I mean, that's really was something that was really when I was just like, wow, this is big, the way the world is working. Now, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that um, myocarditis is something that is associated with um, with with the vaccine, uh, I posted an article that was a peer-reviewed article in JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, that uh, said that there was an association between myocarditis uh, and vaccination. And I posted this article with no comment on my Twitter feed, and I was suspended for six days, and they wouldn't let me back until I took down the post. Now, you can go post it now. Like, now the cat's out of the bag. We all know that uh it, you know you can even say it and not not be censored at least on twitter uh, i don't know if you can say it anywhere else but the um you know we do know that there's an association there i think a lot of people are curious about demar hamlin the buffalo bills football player who collapsed on tv and what's going on there i know i'm wondering like what's going on with sergio aguero should have been starting center forward for argentina and many others um you know, we looked at, um, what's his name? Steve Kirsch's Substack, where he was able to get the Medicare data from Connecticut and do statistical analysis to show us that there was increased mortality associated with vaccine in people 65 and older, uh, that in younger folks, that it was peaking at about six months. Um, and he asked the question, why are they not giving us just basic data so we can just do a statistical analysis and say to ourselves, is the vaccine working and is it not? And in my mind, it's kind of like there's at least it at least is worth a look because we know there are some people, me being one of them, that thinks there's a problem there and I want to know about it. And at the end of the day, we now know I've played uh, Rachel Walensky saying what the vaccines can no longer do is prevent transmission and they can't prevent you from getting the disease. OK, so if the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission, this is not me saying this, too. This is. The CDC, like I'm allowed to say this now because the experts are saying this, so I'm allowed to say it. But the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission. Um, it doesn't prevent you from getting the virus. And young people have a mortality rate that is less than typical influenza. So why force this new experimental vaccine on us when 
you know, they don't work basically. I mean, I'm using my own common sense here and I'm setting this up. Uh, there's a guy, Dr. Shima Bokuro. He's the uh, assistant deputy director of the CDC's immunization uh, safety office. Now, he was also up on Capitol Hill and he was being questioned. And I want you to listen to what he has to say. Now, this is pretty long, but I want you, it's important. Of the immunization safety office. I got this from Michael Knowles. Just a couple show. weeks ago. Acknowledging openly, finally, the health problems that have been attributed and associated with these vaccines we take vaccine safety um very seriously uh with with respect to um reports of people experiencing um debilitating illnesses um i mean we we are we are aware of these um reports of of people experiencing long-lasting health problems following covid vaccination uh, in some cases, the clinical presentation of people suffering these health problems is variable, and no specific medical cause for the symptoms have been found. Um, we understand that illness is disruptive and stressful, especially under those circumstances, and we acknowledge these health problems have substantially impacted the quality of life for people and have also affected those around them, and we hope uh for improvement and recovery, and we will continue to monitor the safety of these vaccines and and work with partners to try to better understand these types of adverse events. All right. Now, I I actually I waited till too long in the show to get into this, so I'm going to do I'm going to bring this up on the next show uh, because it's really important. But you know, the issue here is this person that I just played for you is let me let me get his name. It's complicated. He's, uh, uh, Dr. Shima Bakuro. He's the deputy director of the CDC's immunization safety office. You just heard him say that he's aware of these problems with the vaccine and that they want to keep an eye on it. Now, when we come back next week, I'm going to show you all the fact checkers that have been deployed to, uh, show you that you didn't hear what you just heard. So, I hope that was a good show for you guys today. At the end of the day, I want you to all understand, don't ever stop being critical thinkers. Don't ever accept authority figures blindly. Uh, do your own research. Let's all start to understand these concepts of experts, misinformation, um, you know, people who use big words and things like that to try and show you all these ways to prevent you from sharing your independent thinking and free speech. Let's get rid of that stuff. All right, everybody have a great week. I enjoyed uh, being here today. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. This is America's Web Radio, and I will catch you next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.